Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another episode of Revolution Recap, coming to you after the New England Revolution, who are officially eliminated from playoff contention before they even stepped on the field Saturday because of Friday night's results, defeated Atlanta United 2-1 in the Revolution's last home game of the season. Designated player Giacomo Rioni, making his first start for the Revolution, opened the scoring with his first ever goal for the Revs on a 32nd minute penalty kick. But the Revolution looked headed for another collapse in classic 2022 fashion when Joseph Martinez equalized for Atlanta in the 81st minute on a fantastic volley. Fortunately for the Revs, Gustavo Bo saved them with a game winner in the 85th minute, which was his first goal since July. So both Revolution designated players, uh, designated player strikers, got on the score sheet for the first time this season, which was good news, but maybe too little too late for the Revs. Uh, I'm Sean Donnie. And joining me today is Tanner Rubello of Trifecta Sports. Tanner, how's it going? Doing well. Uh, you know, got the home season in the books for the Revolution. Um, so you know, finished off with a win, so it's solid. Yeah, it was it was a nice way to kind of close out the home schedule on what's been otherwise been a, a pretty frustrating season. Um, I know we've got some things to talk about in this one. Let's jump right into our key takeaways, which are brought to you by our friends at the Rebellion Supporters Group. Be sure to check them out on Twitter at Any Rebellion and on their website AnyRebellion.org. Tanner, what was your key takeaway from this one? I think it showed exactly what the revolution could be. You know, this was a fairly healthy lineup for the revolution, more of a choice lineup with the exception of Ryan Spaulding playing in for the injured Dewan Jones. You had Veroni in his first MLS start. You had Nacho Hill in his first MLS start. You had three DPs on the field for the first time since March 5th. So this was the closest we've seen to a fully fit revolution team. Obviously you don't have players going full 90. I think Veroni went 75 minutes or so, but you had a starting lineup at least that was pretty complete. So it was an opportunity to really see what this team can potentially be capable of. Obviously, they're not going to have a ton of chemistry because some of these players haven't played a ton of minutes together, especially Veroni. But, you know, we saw a team that came back. You know, they conceded a late goal, and it was an incredible goal by Joseph Martinez. And four minutes later, Gustavo Bo scored the game winner. And we hadn't really seen that from this team all year. Um, they showed some spirit. They fought back. Um, I, I think the Revolution have had unfortunate injuries this year and it's really plagued them and it's really impacted the way they can handle themselves tactically and they never really found what they're particularly good at because of the injuries which started right from the jump with Matt Turner missing the first couple months with that uh, foot injury and it continued throughout with players like Gustavo Bo or Giacomo Veroni or um, uh, Ismail Tesori Shradi coming over injured as well so they've really been plagued by injuries and I think this game showed us that the revolution are capable of being a good team. You know, the fact that they led MLS this year in points drop from a leading position tells you that this team can get a lead, and getting a lead in soccer is very difficult. So I think they're a good team, um, and I think it should lift people's spirits going forward that the fact that, hey, when they're healthy, they can win games at home. Yeah, I agree. I think I should lift people's spirits. At the same time, it's probably somewhat frustrating to see, hey, this this is what actually we could have had out there if you know players had been healthy. So that, that kind of two ways to look at this one. Um, but you know, you brought up a good point: is they've had the most. Uh, points drop from a winning position this season of any team at MLS. We've talked about that before. And, you know, when you saw them give up that amazing goal to Joseph Martinez, I think there was really a thought of, oh, no, here here we go again. So it was somewhat refreshing to see them actually fight back 
um, especially kind of given the way they've collapsed in, in even recent weeks, to see them fight back and, and get the win in this one and, you know, show that there's still some spirit. And, you know, it certainly seemed like the Revolution wanted to close out their home schedule with a win, despite the fact that this was you know, a, a pretty meaningless game as far as, you know, playoff positioning or anything like that, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think Giacomo Veroni, after the game, he had a, a quote scoring his first goal. But, um, you know, he said after last night when they saw that the Toronto-Miami game didn't go their way and they were limited from the playoffs, that, you know, they were mad after that as a team. Um, you know, they wanted to go out and do and win. And I think that it's important to see that, that this team is at least knowing that, yes, they're eliminated, but there is an importance of finishing strong and not giving up. So I think if they're able to, you know, they won this game, can they win the next game and really finish the year strong? And that could be a good building block going forward. But if they can also put out a pretty choice lineup as well in the next game, at least you have two games finishing your year where you may see what you have on this side. And maybe that can determine off-season moves as well. Yeah, and that, and that kind of takes me to my takeaway, which was, you know, we've, we've heard a lot of people that want to see Bruce play the kids, and I certainly would like to see guys like Esmer and Buck get more minutes in these last couple of games. But I think based on what we saw this game and, you know, kind of going off of what you said, that Bruce is going to use, you know, he used this game and he's probably going to use the last game as more of a trial to see what he has on this team rather than playing the kids as, as some people would like. Um, because, you know, Buck and Esmer are going to be here next year regardless. You know, there's plenty of t- chance for them to play next year with, you know, the first team in Revs 2. Um, there's no question, I think, on, on whether or not those two guys are going to be back. Damian Rivera, maybe there's a little bit more question there. But, you know, Bruce knows he's got time with them. What Bruce doesn't necessarily know is, you know, whether or not Nacho Heal should come back next season. You know, what he has with Giacomo Vrioni, because he, he hasn't gotten to play much. What he has with Dylan Barrero, even because he hasn't gotten to play much with his injuries, even though he's been playing a little bit more than Vrioni. Um, and at the same time, kind of what his best formation is, because like, like you said, it, he, he never really had the chance to kind of figure out tactically what worked best for the Revs. And we've seen Gustavo Bo play on the wing uh, the past couple of games. And I think Bruce is trying to figure out whether that works. So uh, he, I think he's using these last two games to really prepare himself for this offseason and you know who he needs to bring in, who he should let go, um, but also what the Revolution are going to do tactically next season so they're in a better position going into next year than they were this year where i think they started not really knowing what their best formation was and what they were going to do tactically especially when guys like adam buxa matt turner um you know tejan buchanan left, leaving the offseason kind of kind of adjusting for that so I, I think that's what we're going to see from bruce arena i think we saw it in this game and i think that's what I, I would expect to see in the last game is that you know he's like you said he's playing to win um but he's also kind of playing to see what he has for next season and kind of answer some questions rather than give experience to, to Buck and Esmir. Um, with that said, I would have liked to have seen Buck get some minutes in this game. Um, but I think, you know, based on what you saw in this game, and, and that even includes bringing on Omar Gonzalez in the 87th minute to try to close out this game. And again, what was, you know, a meaningless result for the revolution as far as playoffs. Um, but I think that was a move that was, you know, instead of bringing on Buck to maybe keep attacking and, uh, see what he could bring. It was more of, hey, this is tactically what I'd like to do next year if we're in this situation, bring in another defender and kind of close out the game. Hasn't worked well for the Revs this season when they've done that. Uh, worked in this game, and I, I think that's what we're seeing from Bruce is you know, really trying to answer some questions going into the offseason and answer some questions as far as what's going to work tactically next year um, rather than what you know some fans would like to see, which is seeing Buck and Esmer and um, maybe Damian Rivera as well get more minutes. Yeah, and I think even if you look at the substitutes that Bruce made, you know, he brought in Christian McCoon, he brought in Wilford Captoon, Omar Gonzalez, Dylan Barrero, Justin Rennicks. Like these are players that may not be here next year. There's always that potential. And I think 
you know, those were some of the movies that he made. He didn't go with, like you said, Noel Buck or Damien Rivera or Eshmere. Um, you know, he went with more older players. Yes, Renix and Christian McCoon are still younger, but they don't really know where they fit, right? Um, Justin Renix did fairly well in a starting lineup type role. Um, you know, he showed high effort, but I, I think with a fully healthy roster, what is Justin Renick's role? And I think it's interesting the fact that they subbed him into this game too. Not that they had a ton of options other than him, but... I think it's still interesting to see. No, but you bring up a great point. I think he's another guy that you you know you don't necessarily know whether he'll be here next season. Uh, I think Captoom's a guy you don't necessarily know whether he'll be here next season. I would guess that he's probably not, um, and and maybe he actually wouldn't have played in this one if it wasn't for Polster potentially going down with an injury. But um, you know these are the guys that there's a lot more question in Bruce's mind. I would say about um, than there is about you know Buck and Asmere, who again are are, are going to be here next year and probably for the foreseeable future um, and kind of have time to figure it out. And well, yes, experience would be great for them. Uh, you know, Bruce, like you said, is, is kind of trying to win these games and I think trying to figure out exactly what he has for, for next season. And I do think we you know kind of learned a little bit about that from this game. I know we'll, we'll get into some questions about that. Um, but I, I did want to talk a quick a quick bit about the the lineup that we saw in this one. Uh, first thing that comes to mind is, is Spalding, Ryan Spalding getting the start at left back. It seemed like he'd kind of been out of the picture for the Revs for whatever reason that maybe Bruce didn't trust him because he'd been playing John Bell, who you know primarily been a center back for the, the Revolution since he came here. He played left back before, but uh, since he's been with the Revs, he's been a center back. He'd been playing him at left back over Spalding, so it was interesting to see Spalding get the start today. Um, what, what did you think of his performance, and what do you read into him being subbed out at halftime for Christian McCoon? I thought Spalding looked okay. You know, this is his first start um, for the Revolution since April 9th, so it's a very long time. Even with the second team, you know, Spalding wasn't actually starting a ton with them when he was down there coming off the bench, maybe going 45 minutes. So I don't know if he's necessarily 90-minute fit um, at, at the moment. I thought he looked okay. You know, I don't fl- expect a lot out of Ryan Spalding. It's very tough to fill DeWan Jones' shoes. Um, I thought it was interesting that they didn't go with John Bell, but Spalding is a better fit in that position. I thought he was fine personally. Yeah, and the one one thing I will say is if the Revolution do lose Dewan Jones in the offseason, um, I don't think they have a guy on the roster ready to step up and fill his shoes, like you said, or you know even kind of come close to it, right? I think that would be. I haven't heard any rumors that he's going to be gone in this offseason, but there's constantly rumors about him, and I think that's a guy that if the Revolution were to lose, they'd need to they need to bring somebody else in. It doesn't seem like the roster has that that player on it currently, right? Yeah, you know it's worth noting. I just looked it up real quick. The last time Ryan Spalding was even able to go 90 minutes was August. Uh, 14th. So it's been a while. Um, so this is actually his longest run since that August 19th. That was for Rebs too. So, you know, I, I think it's an interesting situation to look at. You know, that outside back, if they're going to move on from Dewan or even Brandon By, you know, we hear rumors about people sniffing around those outside backs for the Revolution. Um, if this is the off season that they decide to move on from either of them, if there's an offer that's attractive to them. There really isn't anyone on the roster, right? You do have Ryan Spaulding, McCoon can play outside back, so can John Bell, but um, I know Ben Ravino can as well, but that might be an area where they're going to have to, uh, you know, make some type of move in the offseason if they move on from either of their two starters. Yeah, I think that that was a, a question that that's still out there based on what we saw tonight. Um, Nacho Hill got the start, his first start for the Revolution. What what do you think of his performance? And he's obviously playing for a contract next season. He's just a short term deal through the end of this year. Um, you know, did, did do you think he got closer to kind of earning another season with the Revs based on what we saw tonight? I thought we saw a player that is good on the ball. He can make players miss. He also seems to be a tad physical. There's a couple different uh, interactions with opposing players. But I, I thought overall Nacho Hill was pretty good um, for the Revolution. You know, I was actually kind of impressed. I wasn't expecting a whole lot out of him. 
I think he's in a tough situation where, you know, he basically has these two games here to now uh, prove that he's worth a contract. Um, I thought he looked fine. Yeah, I thought he did too. And honestly, I, I did not expect much from him when the Revolution signed him. Um, his, his statistics for the past couple seasons in the, the second division in Spain, uh, not particularly impressive. But I think in the, the minutes he's had for the Revolution, he's looked pretty good. D- did have two chances created in this one. Uh, 0.51 expected assists. You know, kind of, that, kind of that highlight nutmeg that um, the defender ended up winning, but was <laughs> at the time looked was exciting. Um, but, you know, he's a guy that is willing to take people on. Um, and creative in the attacking half. And, you know, as kind of a, a depth winger, which is something the Revolution need, I think if they have, you know, the international spots to accommodate him next season, I think he's, you know, done his part to to kind of at least give himself more consideration. I think if he plays well in the last game, that, you know, there's a good chance that the Revolution do bring him back next year. Um, I, I, I really wasn't expecting much out of him when the Rev signed him, and he's exceeded my, my low bar uh, by a decent margin so far. So, um, very interesting, especially with, with Ismael Tajori Shirardi not being available for the Revolution, and it seems like we're not going to see him this season. Um, an opportunity for Nacho to play more minutes and, and, and show what he can do. Um, on that note, really quickly, were, were you surprised that you know we heard this season from Bruce or this this week from Bruce that um, ITS was you know, injured coming to the Revs and that he didn't really know about the injury? That kind of shocked me that uh, they traded for a guy and apparently didn't realize how injured he was. <laughs> That was incredibly shocking to me. Um, you do have these instances in sports sometimes where you acquire a player and they come in and you know you have to do an entry-level physical and all those types of things. And I do wonder when they found out how injured he was. Um, was it something that maybe they weren't really questioning right in the trade where they're not doing their due diligence? Was the, uh, the team that they acquired him from, were they not doing being straightforward with the revolution. So I, I really do wonder like whose fault that is. Cause that's, that's really, really bad. Um, no, I think it was really revealing that Bruce kind of said that. And obviously we saw Veroni too kind of come in banged up as well. So the revolution certainly have some, I say question marks, uh, when it comes to their acquisitions department at the moment. Um, you know, and they, they transferred out Sebastian Legette and, you know, as Melchizori Shradi was supposed to come in and kind of fill that spot in the lineup and ended up being injured. And I think that really did sink the revolution season. Uh, I'm not saying he's going to come in and be great, but Sebastian Legette was a starting player for the revolution and ended up paying his salary uh, at FC Dallas. So I think that really was uh, one of the things that caused the revolution to start to take that slide in August and then fall out of the playoffs. Yeah, I, I completely agree, and I just wanted to quickly <laughs> hammer home the point about Tajari Shroudy. Is the, you know, the revolution? Uh, it's, it's shocking to me, first of all, that they didn't know the extent of his injury. Um, you know, he's been out a lot for LA the FC this year. He hadn't played much, um, but on, on top of all that, you know, you're you're trading for kind of damaged goods, um, and you're trading four hundred thousand in general allocation money plus potentially two hundred thousand in additional general allocation money if they re-sign him for twenty twenty four. Um, and just to put that in context, LAFC traded for him this past offseason for 400000 in general allocation money. So the revolution were giving LAFC at least what they paid for him, um, and then potentially on top of that, an additional 200000 And LAFC was desperate to offload him because of their offseason or their midseason signings, rather, bringing in Garth Barrow, bringing in Chilani, um, you know, several other guys they brought in as well. So they, they were desperate to A, open cap space, open international roster spots, open senior roster spots. And they got a premium for him instead of the revolution. Revolution getting him at a discount. Um, so when you factor in the injury on top of that, it kind of seems like LAFC fleeced the Revolution in this deal, right? Yeah, and then you look at sort of the legit thing, which I think 
you kind of have to look at it together, right? Because right. I think that was their plan was we're going to move Lejet, we're going to bring in Ishmael Tazori Shradi here, but they actually got flee. They're paying. They paid FC Dallas to take Lejet, and then they overpaid for Ishmael Tazori Shradi, even if he was a healthy player. There was a potential overpay there. So the whole trade deadline um, and their moves there were very interesting and. While at the end of the day, that's not why the Revolution are in the situation that they are. That is what caused them to not have a different path. You know, they were sort of headed to this path that they're at right now. But if they had made the right moves, they could have actually, I think, taken a step forward. But in reality, they've taken a step back after that trade deadline. Yeah, I completely agree with that because you know, he was supposed to be, Jory Schreider was supposed to be the guy that kind of stepped in and potentially you know, started for the revolution and was that attacking guy when they kind of switched into you know, more of a formation with wingers than what they were playing when they had, um, you know, Leggett was playing on the wing, but kind of a more of a natural winger than Leggett. Uh, and instead, they got rid of Leggett. They're paying his salary this season. Um, and then they brought in an injured player that, that wasn't going to be able to play because you look at the other two transfer deadline moves you know, McCone coming in, um, you know, decent depth piece, but he was never going to be a guy that was going to be a regular starter and kind of push the revs over the edge. And then, you know, a backup goalkeeper in Diop. Um, obviously, that wasn't going to be the move that, that pushed the revs into the playoffs. Um, so, yeah, I agree. You know, they were already headed in that direction, but the moves compounded it. Um, and it's, you know, kind of been two disappointing summer transfer windows in a row and that this one kind of made the revs worse. And last year, um, you know, when they were won the supporter shield and broke the, the record so you can't complain too much they had an opportunity in the summer transfer window to kind of make their roster a little bit better um, potentially and kind of push them over the edge for the playoffs and they didn't sign anybody um, so I think you could say it's been two disappointing summer transfer windows and, and of course a disappointing winter transfer window when they brought in out the door who you know, kind of petered out and they had to move on from him this summer of course he's coming back in the winter and they have to figure out what to do about that and Omar Gonzalez who I think hasn't provided kind of the veteran presence as far as when he's on the field for the revolution and, and kind of giving them another third option at center back. So, um, and then of course, Legette, who was playing decently well for the revs and that they moved on from and, you know, didn't have to close out the season. So uh, Bruce, the GM kind of let the team down a bit this season, even when you you know think about all the injuries and, um, you know, Rioni, we still don't necessarily know what he's going to bring. Barrero looked good in small doses, um, but you know the revolution's moves in the summer really didn't help them and kind of set them back a bit. And the moves in the winter um, weren't good enough either. So uh, it's you know we'll talk a lot more about that in the off season, but just kind of kind of interesting. Um, this week to hear that they didn't really know about ITS's injury status when he went to the revolution and kind of kind of shocking. Um, was there anything else in the the lineup that surprised you? It was good to see Rioni get his first start. Uh, he certainly didn't look fit in the the past previous few games, but it seemed like he was, you know, at least a lot closer to fitness in this one, right? Yeah, I think Rioni looked good. Um, you know, obviously he he drew the uh, the penalty. Uh, he converted the penalty, so that was nice to see. Um, ultimately, it's just good to see him on the field and interacting with Carlos and then Gustavo. Um, you know, it's a twenty three year old striker; like he's still young and. There is potential there, right? Um, and I think they're just trying to figure out, is he the long-term future at striker, or do they need to make another move? But, you know, they're kind of stuck with him at this point, I feel like. So um, I thought he looked good. Went 76 minutes. Um, so that that's definitely a benefit. Yeah, I think I think there's still a lot of questions about him, though. The one thing that concerned me, uh, obviously it was great to see him get in the score sheet, but there was you know more than a couple times in this game where I don't think he necessarily made the right run for the Revolution. 
Um, and I know a couple of weeks ago, Matt Doyle pointed out a situation where, you know, the revolution were pushing forward and he didn't really, he was late to make a run out of the box. And I, I thought that was something that I saw from him a few times in this game. There was one, one point where Brandon Bay played Nacho down the wing and the revolution had a chance to kind of break forward quickly. Um, and it seemed like he kind of delayed his run and the revolution had to, you know, Nacho had to kind of slow up the play because there was nobody to give it to in the box. And then there was, I think there's a play in the second half where Carles got to the end line and played that pass across goal where he thought, Rioni would be, but Rioni was kind of slow in making that run again and didn't get there in time. And, you know, what could have been a tap in uh, potentially for him. Does, does that concern you at all that he doesn't seem to be, you know, making the right runs? Or is that just a question of, you know, I, I struggle whether that's a question of, you know, his instincts as an attacker or whether it's a question of just being on the same page with his teammates. I'm not really sure yet at this point. You know, I know Bruce after the game said that Rioni at the end of this shift today, he was showing that he was fatigued. And I agree with him. I think that for the last, you know, say 10 or so minutes of that shift, he was fatigued. I, I agree with you. I did see some runs that was sort of lackluster on his part. And I think that's more the fact that he is still trying to build that chemistry with his teammates. I think we saw with Adam Buchs in his beginning of his tenure with New England. I think the fact that Veroni was injured and not able to be on the field and practice at 100% for all that time, I think it really set him back. Um, so I think it's really tough to judge him at this point. I, I really think you're going to figure out what he is next season. Um at least that's what I hope, right? I really do hope it's the fact that he's still building that chemistry because if it's the lack of instincts, then you go back to that whole player evaluation and bring the wrong players in. Right, and you know this was a guy that scored, what, 20, 20 goals or whatever whatever it was in Austria last season. So it's, I mean, it's hard to imagine that he doesn't have the, the, the right instinct as a striker, but um, I do think that's still kind of an open question and, and you know, maybe... Again, with each each week, his fitness should be getting better. So I'll be curious to see what he can do last week. And he he's certainly a guy. Even if you want to see the Revs play the kids, that um, I think we all want to see more from this season, um, both to get integrated with the team, to gain his fitness, and just to kind of know what you have going into next year. Um, so those are kind of my the, the things I wanted to look at in the lineup. We do have a decent amount of listener questions. Before we jump into listener questions, I wanted to take a minute to talk about the sponsor of this podcast, Galaco Kits. Galaco Kits is the go-to place to bring unique vintage jerseys to your home. The passion for the beautiful game doesn't have borders, and neither does the selection. And if you head to GalacoKits.com today, you can get 15% off your order using the code REVSRECAP. That's REVSRECAP at checkout for 15% off your order at Galaco Kits. If you're like me and already starting to get excited for the upcoming World Cup, uh, but are not so excited about the current U.S. men's national team kits, which are uh, quite underwhelming, as we talked about in the podcast two weeks ago. There are a ton of awesome vintage U.S. men's national kits that you can wear and feel a lot better about wearing uh, than the current one. So with that, Tanner, are you ready for some questions? Yes. All right. So we got a couple of lineup questions. Uh, Anime Stoner wants us to compare this lineup today to what we think should be there next season. And Derek Terrell similarly says Bo is still a weapon. He strongly believes that the lineup that was used today or some similar variation can be successful next year with a full with a full preseason. Do you think this is true or do we need significant changes? So I think uh, both these questions are basically how much change from this current lineup do you think we need to see before next season? I think the clear difference between this and a choice lineup, at least as of right now, is Dewan Jones and for Ryan Spaulding. But I think beyond that, ideally, Dylan Barrero is going to be starting over Nacho Hill. Um, I think the one question is, is Milton you know, Joy Schrady, where does he fit into this equation? Is Bo really going to be playing on the wing? So I think the lineup we saw today is the choice lineup as of what we know right now um, outside of Ryan Spaulding. But ideally, I think Dylan Barrero and Milton Joy Schrady are going to be in the starting lineup to start the year. The question is, what does it look formationally? And I don't think the Revolution even know what it looks formationally at this point. Yeah, and I think that's still something that, you know, despite the fact that 
Ismael Tuzeri Shirogi is not available, um, I think they're still trying to figure out what they look like formationally now, in kind of in advance of next season, because I think they went into this season um, thinking that they were going to play in a diamond. And, you know, that's part of the reason why they went out and got Lejet, because in theory, Lejet, you know, fit into a diamond a lot better than kind of what they ended up playing with wingers. Um, and then, you know, ended up finding that that didn't work out, uh, especially with Adam Buxa not available or with Gustavo Bowen and Adam Buxa not available at the same time. So that's, you know, that's kind of the. The difficult thing is they don't necessarily know what the formation is, but I, I agree with you. Um, obviously, their ideal lineup has Dewan Jones over Ryan Spaulding, and I, I think if Dewan Jones is gone, that you know I'm not sure that Ryan Spaulding is the answer at left back. I think they need to go out and get somebody else. Um, but I think ideally, you keep Ryan Spaulding and Brandon by for next year. Um, I think as far as the ideal lineup next season, you know it, your center back pairing might still be Andrew Farrell and Henry Kessler, uh, but they need to bring in another center back. I don't think McCone. Um, Gonzalez or John Bell are good enough to be that third center back. And as Andrew Farrell gets older and, you know, we've seen from Henry Kessler that injuries and, you know, for other reasons, he's unlikely to be available for every game uh, that you kind of need a third center back that can really step up and, and play at the same level as those two. Cause I don't think the, the other options can. Um, so that's something that I think they need. Um, but I think the, the big question is like you said, Gustavo Bo at winger, is that what he's going to play next year? Um, and you know, on that note, Teal Forever says he likes the idea of Bo at winger in a one-striker setup. Um, what are your thoughts on kind of Bo playing out there, and how do you think he's played in, in kind of the past couple games in that role? I actually like him out there. Uh, I think it adds an extra dynamic to the offense um, rather than playing two strikers. Uh, I think he's good in space. He's good. He's good also in facilitation. Um, he's also great on in shooting as well. I really do like Bo on the wing, but. I feel like ever since he got here, they've been trying to figure out where is he best fit. And obviously it's been impacted by the personnel, whether they had Adam Books or he didn't, um, or whether or not they had Carlos Seal uh, when he was injured. So I think Bo, despite being here for a couple of years at this point, um, his role is undefined at this point. Um, but I, I did like him out there on the wing. I think it makes more sense for him to be on the wing than being at striker. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I just I, I struggle with the fact that, like you said, he's been here a few years now and you still don't know what his best position is. And, you know, he's probably only got one more year left. Uh, so you kind of need to figure that out. Um, and, you know, he's definitely still a weapon. But, I, I you know, I had to take a few weeks ago that I, I think that the revolution you know might be better off moving on from Gustavo Bo. Um, and I think he looked OK as a winger in this game. He obviously scored a great goal. But I also think, you know, there were times where he was uninvolved. Um, and you know, he's a guy that obviously doesn't have a lot of pace and you can be a successful winger without a lot of pace, but that's also a a nice thing to have as a winger. Um, so he's not, he's not a natural winger. He's not a natural lone striker. You know, he's plays well as a second striker off of somebody, but then you require the revolution to completely shift the formation to find a way for that to work by either, you know, putting Carles heel out on the wing instead of in the center, which I think is a bad idea because, you know, Carles does so much more uh, when he's in the center and involved more um, or kind of playing a diamond, which I, I think the revolution tried and it didn't, you know, worked out at the end of last season, but clearly wasn't working this year. And then if you do that, then you can't really play Dylan Barrero as a winger um, and you can't play, you know, Nacho or ITS as wingers. Um, so I, I still don't know, like you said, it, it, you know, he's played different roles depending on the personnel that are available, but we still don't know what his best position is. Um, and, you know, the other things that concern me are the fact that, you know, A, he, he he's injured a lot. Um, and, and B, when he's recovering from an injury, it takes him a long time to get back up to speed. What was it, you know, eight, eight games or nine games after this injury before he finally scored? And then to start the season, I think it was something like six or seven games before he scored. It takes a while to kind of ramp up and find his form. Um, and when he's not scoring, 
I, I don't know that he contributes enough to kind of justify his place in the field or his designated player tag. Uh, so, you know, he's signed through next season, but I, I still think that if the Revolution could find a way to move on from him, they could probably build a more balanced formation um, and use that designated player spot to better effect. Again, kind of assuming Giacomo Vrioni is healthy and, and can play as a lone striker up top. But um, I, I don't know about you, but that's kind of one of my big question marks going into next season is, you know, where does Gustavo Bo play? Um, is it as a winger? I think it has to, probably has to be as a winger uh, because I don't see the revolution going back to a two-striker system and kind of, you know, screwing over all their wingers on the roster at this point. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm still kind of on the boat that the revolution might be better off if they could find a way to, to move on from Gustavo Bo and, uh, would have kind of a more balanced roster under balanced formation without him next season, despite the fact that, yes, he is still a weapon, and, yes, he can still score great goals at times. Yeah, I think it could make their formation simpler, right, if you had a better fit at winger. Um, I think that's a real question they're going to have to ask themselves. He's 32 years old now. He's has eight goals on the season, paces the team, but you're right, he's been injured off and on his entire tenure with the Revolution. Uh, it probably would make their team more simplistic, right, if they had a natural winger out there and a natural winger on the other side, and um, I don't know if Gustavo Bo necessarily warrants right that that two striker setup at this point. Uh, so they could use that DP slot elsewhere if they are able to move on from him, maybe in the defensive midfield. Um, that could be an interesting solution for them. But I think it's all tough questions for them, right? The fact that he has been injured and they have invested so much into him. Um, I think they have a lot of questions this offseason with this roster. I think Gustavo Bo is one of the big ones. Yeah, and you know, one thing too is when he is playing as a winger, he's a very different winger than you know the rest of the guys we just named on this roster. Um, so if he is out injured, you kind of have to change the way you play. Um, where you know theoretically, if you go from let's say let's say ITS gets healthy, if you go from Barrero to, to him on the wing, um, you're probably not changing the way you play as much as you are if you go from you know, Gustavo Bo uh, to one of them on the wing or. You know, so that, that's you know that's one of the questions, or, or Nacho Heel you know, on the wing. They're more kind of natural wingers than Gustavo Boas, and um, and I don't know. It's that that's a huge question in this offseason, But at the same time, he is he is signed through another year, and I don't know that moving on from him would actually be that easy, um, even if they wanted to. Um, also on the starting lineup, Broken Bill said, "I thought today's starting lineup was one of the best in the while." Can we expect more consistent first string lineup next season? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Obviously, I think a lot of that depends on the Revolution being healthy next season and whether we can see a more consistent starting lineup, right? Yeah, I think the number one thing is health, but also I would say, you know, the first month or two of the season, Bruce is probably going to be seeing what formation works, uh, you know, what lineup works the best as well, what assortment of players. Um, so I, I would hope that they're going to have a more consistent lineup next year. I don't think it could be any more inconsistent. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't think... I don't think it's going to be more consistent unless unless everyone stays healthy. And I think it's important to point out too that even the year they won the supporter shield, um, you know, even the other one supporter shield, it took Bruce a while to figure out what their best lineup was uh, until you know late in the season did they kind of stick with that consistent four four two diamond. So um, I, I don't think Bruce was intentionally switching up the lineup a lot this year. I think it was the fact that a people couldn't get healthy and b he didn't know what his best eleven was. But um, you would hope next year that he has a better sense of that and that better health allows it to happen. Um, Porter says, let's say Rioni, Barrero, and Petrovic came in the January window rather than the summer one. What position would the Revs have finished in the East? That's a good question. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think if you look at this team, the biggest reason why they're in this position is the fact that they couldn't close out games. I don't know if necessarily those players would help them close out games. I think the biggest thing that affected this team 
well, there's a couple big things that affected this team, but it was Matt Turner's injury, and then it was transferring out Adam Buxa, and then you know, it was the injuries that occurred when they had the players come in, like Ferroni um, and Barrero as well. So it's, it's really tough to say, but you can't help but think that they'd be in a better position. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard not to imagine that if all those guys were here at the beginning, um, and again, healthy. There's no, there's no saying yeah. just because they came in the winter, they would have been healthy. Um, you know, Rioni still could have picked up the injury. Barrero, you know, probably still would have had some injuries. Um, you know, there's, and, you know, if Matt Turner was healthy, I think he would have been starting until, you know, even if Petrovic came in the winter, I think Matt Turner would have, would have kind of started the rest of his time here until he went off to Arsenal too. Um, so it, it all depends on health, but you know, like you said, I don't think those are the guys that necessarily would have stopped the revs from the collapses they had, but I do think, you know, they'd probably be pushing for the playoffs. Um, I'm still not sure if you have those guys and you have all the in- other injuries that you have that the revolution aren't still a, you know, a low playoff seed instead of a high seed holding a, a home game. Uh, but it is, you know, it's an interesting thing to think about if those guys had come in earlier. Uh, but I guess you're saying if those guys had come in earlier too, you know, Rioni doesn't come in unless Books is gone. So you're saying it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting hypothetical because you're probably saying what happens if you don't have Books at the beginning and have Rioni instead. And Books was the Revs' leading scorer up until today uh, still because he scored, you know, seven goals early on and was very hot at the beginning of the season. So, um, you know, m- maybe they're not in that much different of a position at all. <laughs> um, you're probably right. Charles Maddox says, how important is this offseason to rest and refocus on being competitive next season? And he also wants to know if the Revs should rebuild the back line and, and hold on to Petrovic. I think we would all agree that the Revolution should hold on to Petrovic. Um, but do you think they need to rebuild the back line? And how important is the offseason to rest and refocus on being competitive? I think the back line is a big question. If they're going to be interested in Dewan Jones or not in terms of transferring him out. But I think Brandon Bayes' position is pretty safe. I think Henry Kessel is pretty safe. But I think the miles on Andrew Farrell... Um, I mean, he, the guy is such an Iron Man, right? You know, he did miss some time this year, but he's played so many games. And at some point, you have to ask, when is it not going to be enough, right? Like, at what, some point, his game's going to fall off. Um, and they really are going to need depth behind them. But I don't think the starting back line needs to change if, if they come back fully healthy next year. I think if you can keep all those players, I don't think there's any need to upgrade or enhance your back line. I think one of the bigger issues with the back line was there's a lot of absences right Farrell missed some time Kessler missed some time obviously Dewan's missed some time as of late uh which forced players like John Bell or Mark Gonzalez to play uh I really just think it's the depth on that back line that needs to improve yeah I completely agree with you I think that back line again they won the supporter shield with it and set broke the record I think um what's very obvious is you can't rely on them being healthy for 34 games in a season plus you know CONCACAF Champions League they're not making that this year but Open Cup whatever, whatever else um, you need better depth. The drop-off, unfortunately, from the guys that are there this year to the backups is too big. The drop-off from you know Dewan Jones to Ryan Spaulding is too big. The drop-off from um, Brandon Bay to, to A.J. De La Garza at this point in his career is too big. The drop-off from Kessler or Farrell to whether it's Omar Gonzalez, John Bell, or, or Christian McCoon is too big. And maybe Bell or McCoon can step up a bit, and maybe Spaulding can step up a bit. But um, that, to me, is the biggest concern is that you know when one of those guys goes out, um, the drop off is too big. And I also think, you know, your backup to Brandon by can't be Dewan Jones, uh, because, you know, when one guy goes out, you can't have to switch two positions and have a different left back and then have a guy who's a left back playing right back. Um, that to me is a problem, right? I, I, I don't know if you agree with me, but I personally think that your backup to Brandon by needs to be someone that's not Dewan Jones. So when one guy gets hurt, you're not switching two positions. Absolutely. I think Dewan Jones 
he plays on the left side primarily, and that's where he should stay, right? You don't want to have your best backup to literally be the guy that's starting on the opposite side of the field. <laughs> yeah, that, that's always been something that, that bothers me is when, when your your backup situation is moving one of your starters from one position to another position and then filling in that position instead, especially when Dewan Jones has kind of proven himself to be. Uh, last season, I think he was the best left back in the league. This season, I think there was a little bit of a drop-off in his play, but um, you know, it's not it's not good to be moving guys around when you don't have to. Um, a couple of Petrovic questions. Uh, James Downing also says, ultimately, the poor quality of the broadcast and rained out crowd made it a match that was pretty forgettable, though it was kind of uh, kind of felt like a win the Revs would have gotten last year. I, I agree with that. We talked about that earlier about how you know the revolution didn't collapse when they gave up that goal. They came back and scored, which is more of what we saw last year and less of what we've seen this year. Um, so he wants to know any thoughts on Twelman's mysterious tweet about Petrovic. Uh, the context there is Matt Doyle kind of tweeted out a joke um, about my my Tottenham Hotspur gave up a bad goal today. Uh, and he tweeted out that they could use Petrovic instead of Hugo Lloris. Uh, and Twelman responded with that is that they may be too late uh, with an eye emoji, which uh, I don't know what your thoughts about that were, but it seems to imply that there might already be a move coming for Petrovic as, as short as he's been here. Uh, Tail Forever also wants to know, has Petrovic gone this offseason? So what did you make of, of Twelman's tweet? Um, which you know kind of came as a surprise right before this game. You know, Petrovic, I think, has impressed all of us. You know, 22 years old, came in midseason. June 12th was his first game with the team. Um, you know, he was in the organization prior to that, but he never played an MLS game until June 12th. He ends up winning the team MVP voted by the fans, the player's player voted by the players, right? So that tells you all you need to know. June 12th, he came in, and he won both of those awards. And yes, the Revolution weren't great, you know, uh, this year, so there weren't really many options, but... This is a player that has seven clean sheets this year. <laughs> he saved four penalties. Uh, I think it's minus 13 is his expected goals versus goals conceded. Um, just essentially he's played perfect soccer. You look at this game in particular, the goal by Joseph Martinez was a world-class goal, maybe one of the best goals in the league this season. So I think it's not a shock that the fact that Petrovic's value has gone up, right? And there's going to be teams in Europe that are looking to improve their goalkeeping situation. Uh, you know, and if the revolution get an offer, I don't think any player's necessarily untouchable on his team. So I, I could see Petrovic being moved if the offer is right. I don't think they're going to be giving away for a low offer, but you know, if it's $10 million, I, I could, I have a hard time seeing the revolution not saying yes to that kind of deal. Yeah, I, I agree. I think he's the, the way he's played this season has been kind of eye-opening for a lot of people. Um, you know, we've talked about it before, but I, you know, you can make the case that they replaced Matt Turner with a goalkeeper that's actually a better shot stopper than Matt Turner. Um, now there are some areas of his game that he can improve upon. Sometimes his judgment coming out for crosses isn't the best. Um, I think his communication with the back line and you know, part of that might be the language, um, you know, needs some work. But I think that's you know, when you have a full preseason, let's say he is back next year, I think that you know, you'd expect that to improve a lot. Um, but it would not surprise me if a big offer came in for him this offseason that the Revs couldn't say no to. Um, I do think that would be pretty devastating to the Revs because you, know, you replace Matt Turner with a goalkeeper that has the potential to be better than Matt Turner. Uh, doing that twice is, is doing that once is is very um, unusual and shocking. And you know, great job by the Revolution coaching staff and scouting staff to do it, but. Um, asking them to do that twice is is a, is a huge ask, and, and I think trying to replace Petrovic uh, would be a, a very difficult thing for the Revs to do. And 
Um, as we saw this season, the rough season would have been a lot worse if they didn't have goalkeepers, the quality of, of Matt Turner and Georgie Petrovic. But I, I don't know how you find it, kind of strike lightning a third time with the goalkeeper spot. Yeah, I, I think it'd be very difficult to replace Petrovic. Like it was very difficult to replace Turner, and they got kind of lucky in the fact that Petrovic not only was very good, but the fact that he was able to do it so quickly and come up to speed. Um, yeah, he does have some areas to work on, but he, he might be better than Matt Turner. And that, it's very hard for me to say that, but he might be better than Matt Turner, and he's, and he's younger than Matt Turner. Um, in terms of replacing him, if they were to move on, you do have some internal options, but I don't necessarily think Jacob Jackson coming back from his injury is going to be a real candidate to start. If you look at the bench right now, you have Clement Diop, Earl Edward Jr., Brad Knight. And so if you were to, you'd have to go from without the organization to find that keeper. I'm not putting it past them to be able to do it, especially if you get a hefty sum of, say, $10 million for Petrovic. Let's say that's the deal. You can bring in a, another international keeper, um, but it is going to be very difficult. You're probably not going to get the same level of performance, but if you're financially compensated for it and you can use that money elsewhere, you know, I'll bring in the keeper and then bring in somebody else with that money, I, I think you have to do it. Yeah, and, and you did mention Petrovic winning the Revolution Team MVP. He also won the Players Player of the Year Award. Um, I don't have any question. I don't have any uh, disagreement at all on, on him winning that. I think if the only other guy that you could probably make a case for is Carles Heel um, with his seven-goal, 14-assist season. But do you, do you have any any uh, disagreement with Petrovic being the MVP and Players Player of the Year? No, absolutely not. I think he has done his job as well as you could expect. I think Carlos has had some moments where he hasn't been as good or maybe as locked in. Uh, certainly a lot of frustration, I think, for Carlos Hill this season, and rightfully so. He would be probably the second, like you said, but I think it was clear and obvious that Jordi Petrovic deserved this recognition from both the fans and the players. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, Defender of the year, Andrew Farrell. Um, any any thoughts on that one? Any disagreement? I actually voted for Andrew Farrell. This is one of the uh, this is the only media award we get to vote for. Uh, last year, I went with Dewan Jones, um, and, and I was close to going for Dewan Jones again this year. Yeah, he took a step back. There's some, obviously things he does better than Farrell, and there's stuff that Farrell does better than him. But the reality is, you know, it's a defender award. I went with a center back in this situation. Andrew Farrell has played um, fairly well this year. I think he's had better seasons in the past, but. When it came to this award, I think it was clear that I was going to be Farrell. Yeah, this, this was a, a tough one for me because, I, to be honest, I, 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 there were historical seasons, hasn't been for a while, where they allowed uh, goalkeepers to be voted for. And I think it would have been an easier vote. Uh, Petrovic was an option for sure. He would have kind of cleaned house on the awards. Um, I agree. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know that there was any Revolution player that really deserved it this year, given the Revolution defensive efforts this season. Um, so this was a tough one for me. I went for Brandon Bayh. Um, I think it was more about his offensive performances than his defensive performances, though, kind of you know, breaking the, the fullback record with six assists. Um, I, I also, like you, went with DeWan Jones last year. Uh, but I, if I could have voted for Petrovic and, or maybe voted for nobody, I, I probably would have. <laughs> uh, this was a, a really tough vote this year and that I, I – you know, again, no, no offense to any of the Revolution's defenders, but I think as a team, their defensive efforts this year uh, made it hard to pick anybody. And uh, you know, with Andrew Farrell leading the league in penalties conceded with four, and Henry Kessler <laughs> right behind him in penalties conceded in three, um, while playing way less games, the top two in the league, um, it was kind of hard to vote for anyone for for that one. I have to say, um, congratulations to Brad Knighton on Humanitarian of the Year, Golden Boot. Uh, still to be decided, Gustavo Bo now in the lead with eight. Um, Carles Hill, one behind with seven. Adam Buxa, obviously not with the Revs anymore, one behind with seven. Um, 
do, do you think that Gustavo Bo takes this one if you're if you're a betting man given his one goal lead? Um, and also, what did you think of Carles Hill kind of giving up the penalty kick that would have put him tied for the golden boot leader at the time in the lead uh, to Vrioni so he could get his first goal? I think it shows that Carlos Seal on his contract does not have a bonus for willing the team's golden boot. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I didn't think of it that way, but that's a great point. <laughs> I like seeing Carlos do it. I think he understood that Veroni has, you know, dealt with injury and is working his way in the team still and he deserved that, right? You you drew the penalty. So I was actually really good to see Carlos willing to give that up. I thought it really summarizes Carlos Seal as a player. He loves to facilitate and he facilitated there. I do think Gustavo Bo ends up locking this up. Carlos is right there as well, but you have to imagine Gustavo could potentially score in Chicago. This is a player that when he scores, he scores in bunches. Yeah, and it, I, I agree. I think it's likely to be Gustavo Bo. Usually when he, when he does get a goal, uh, it kind of sets him on fire to, to score some more. So I wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me at all if he scored another one. And, you know, Carles, for, for how good of a player he is, um, when he's not scoring from the penalty spot, I don't think he is necessarily the most efficient finisher. And that was one of the things that kind of cost the Revs down the stretch is they were, were missing um, Rioni and Buxa. Buxa obviously gone, Rioni obviously not fit. And with Gustavo Bo kind of not sharp up until recently or up until this game, not finding the back of the net, um, a lot more pressure was kind of on Carly's heel to, to put the ball in the back of the net. And I think we saw uh, finishing is not his strong point and obviously not why he's on the roster, but I, I would expect Gustavo Bo to, to take it, you know, barring there being another penalty kick that, that Carly ends up taking. Um, Academy player of the year, Jack P. I cannot pronounce his last name. Do you know how to pronounce it? <laughs> put you on the spot. Uh, I do not want to offend him or his family, so I will not attempt it. Well, congrats to him. He was just playing for the under-19 men's national team, so that's uh, exciting. He's the guy. You think we see him signed to the Revolution first team at some point next season? Or I would love to. I mean, he decided to go to college, um, which is great, right? That's the right choice. I feel like some players it's not, but you know, he made that decision with his family, and I, I fully you know, obviously support that, right? Um, so who knows, right? You could figure it out the college game's right for him, plays there, gets drafted into Major League Soccer that way, or signs a homegrown deal after the fact. So I, I'm, I don't think we'll actually end up seeing him next year as a homegrown player. No, I mean, he's, he's definitely a guy that you hope the Revolution find a way to bring in at some point in the future and don't you know lose him to signing for some team in Europe or, or you know, I, I can't imagine they'd waive his rights and let him sign with another team at MLS or go through the draft. But um, he's an exciting guy to keep an eye on for the Revolution Academy. Uh, always good to have players in your academy playing on the, in the youth national team set up. And I think he, I don't know if he, he started all or most of the, the games in that recent um, U19 tournament that the U.S. actually won with 3 0 So uh, exciting guy to keep an eye on and deserving player of the Academy Player of the Year. Um, so those were the team awards. Uh, Wow, wow, walk, walk wants to know if Nacho Heal should be a way more useful piece going into next season. Well, he's not under contract for next season, so I would say no. <laughs> but if he's under contract, yes, because they've only had him for a couple games. Yeah, honestly, I think the the best thing to happen to him is the the unknown and more extensive injury to, to Jory Shroudy than uh, we expected, because I, I don't know that he'd be getting these minutes if that hadn't happened. Um, and I think if there's a question mark in Bruce's mind about what his health is going to be next season, uh, that also makes Nacho Heal much more appealing. But he's getting more extended tryout and more minutes than I think he would have gotten otherwise because of that injury. So, um, yeah, I, I think I don't know. I think I, I at this point I would lean more more likely than no that he'll be back next season. Although I think it's still very much up in the up in the air, and I think I've been more impressed with him than I expected to be. So um, yeah, I'm curious to see what we get from him next year. Um, 
Teal Forever wants to know what other goalkeepers other than Petrovic, assuming he's still here, do the Revolution keep next season? Uh, Jacob Jackson and Clemente, yeah, I think. Uh, I think Brad Knighton, you know, who knows he might retire, but you know, he hasn't really been on the roster in a while. Um, I think Raw Edwards, you know, when he started, he had some rough games. He has some good games. Um, he has been on the bench for the team. It's just you look at it and you wonder what's the uh, going to be the sassiest players. Earl Edwards and Clemente Opera are supplemental players at this point. Um, so would Jacob Jackson. But what, what's their status going to be next year? Um, I, I think the revolution needs to go younger. Uh, but it all depends on Petrovic, right? If they get that transfer offer and transfer him out, they're going to have to completely reshuffle things. So I personally would think it'd be Jackson and Diop because they brought in Diop, which I thought was interesting at the time. The fact that they already had Edwards and Knighton as veterans on the roster. So I'd imagine there's some investment there or at least like aspirations for him uh, to be on the roster. So I, I don't think they need to go crazy, though, at the backup. Yeah, I'll be honest. I don't think anything would surprise me at this point with what they do at the backup position and who they keep. I, I would not expect Brad Knighton to be back. Um, he is the one goalkeeper right now that's taking a senior roster spot other than Petrovic. And I don't think there's any reason to use the senior roster spot. Again, as, as good as a uh, servant for the club Brad Knighton's been, and as good as he's been stepping up in the past, um, you know he's not making the bench right now. And at 37 years old, um, he'll be 38 starting next season. I don't think, again, I think it's time to move on from, from Brad Knight and using a senior roster spot. They're too valuable to use on a, on a third-string goalkeeper. Um, so it, it comes down to me. I think Jacob Jackson, you know, if they think he's going to recover well from this injury, I think there was enough promise there to bring him back another season. Um, and then I think you see one of Earl Edwards or Clement Diop back next year, both of them in supplemental slots. Uh, the fact Earl Edwards is making the bench uh, shows me that they have some trust in him. Now that could just be that he's been with the team all season, so he, you know, the, the team knows what, um, you know, they know what he can bring, and he knows the the system better than Clement Diop, and Clement Diop might be more of a long term project um, to get him more integrated next year. Uh, but obviously, this this has been kind of a lengthy trial for Clement Diop, where they've gotten to see him up close. Um, so maybe they got to see him up close, and they decided that maybe he's not good enough. Um, so I, I have trouble kind of picking between which of those two guys is back next year. You know, Clement Diop is on the supplemental roster. We heard that's because, um, some of his salary is still being picked up. Uh, my guess is that that's probably not the case next year. Um, so if they're not completely sold on Diop and he's going to take a senior roster spot, it would not surprise me if it's actually Earl Edwards that, that comes back next season. So, um, I know I'm not really, I'm not giving a solid answer on this one. I'm, I'm not going to end up on cursed revs because I'm not, I, I'm not uh, picking kind of skirting the line there with that one. But, um, it's one thing, it's one position that I have trouble kind of figuring out who's going to be the backup next season, because I think it's a, a real question. And, um, it would surprise me if Brad Knighton's back, but, um, between Diop and Earl Edwards, you know, it would not surprise me. And this is again, assuming, assuming Petrovic is not back. I, I think it'll be one of those two guys is back as the backup as well as, as Jacob Jackson, unless I think is, you know, he's not going to recover well from that injury. So that's a, something to watch this off season and something that I don't, I, I, I'm not confident in what the answer is. Um, early question about the expansion draft. Uh, Alden wants to know who we should respect, protect in the expansion draft and what are our weakest positions slash thinnest spots on the roster. Um, neither of us have had much time to put too much thought into the expansion draft. I, I think we're both in agreement that it, it's unlikely that anyone from the revolution gets selected. Um, kind of set the stage. Five players can be selected in the expansion draft. Uh, teams can protect 12 players. 
Um, they must protect at least three internationals if they have four or more. So that'd be the revolution. Uh, guys that are at a count, contract, you know, count as being on the roster uh, for purposes of protection. Uh, homegrown players that are under 25 are automatically protected. So Buck, Esmer, Rivera, Renix don't need to be protected. Um, so, you know, kind of thinking, I, I try to qu- quickly think through who the Revs protect. Uh, Petrovic is a no-brainer. That's one. Carles Heel is a no-brainer. That's two. Um, your back line, Andrew Farrell, Brandon By, Dewan Jones, Henry Kessler, that puts you at six. Then you got Matt Polster, which I think is also a no-brainer. That puts you at seven. Tommy McNamara, you know, they've, they've signed him up long-term. Uh, kind of given your other options, I think he's probably a no-brainer at eight. Um, and then, you know, we talk about Gustavo Bo. I, I think if you leave him unprotected, there's a 0% chance he gets taken. Um, so do you protect him? Or, you know, do you take the risk? Or, you know, if you want to move on from him, maybe you do take the risk. But also the other side of that is, is there an ego thing where, you know, hey, he's been one of your best players over the years. Do you have to protect him for that? I don't think it matters. I think they can either protect him or not protect him. And they're still not going to get anyone taken. Um, So let's put him on the list. That's nine. Um, Rioni, I think you obviously protect him. You've invested so much in him. Barrero, same thing. I think you protect him. That's at 11. And then, you know, for your 12th, because of how much you spent on Ismail Tajori Shirari, do you protect him? Probably, or because of his injury being worse than you thought, um, do you leave him unprotected and, and maybe look at what you did as a sunk cost? I, you know, I think you probably protect him given what you invested. Um, that's the twelve I'm going with. You know, Nacho Heel. If you resign him, maybe you protect him. I don't know that he's shown enough to be picked up by another team. Regardless, um, Masiel has got the long-term injury now that I think Gustavo Lopez reported. I think it was an Achilles injury. I don't think you protect him. I'm not sure he's back next year. I don't think he's shown enough for other teams to be interested in him. Um, you know, if that's my twelve, do you have you know without spending too much time on it, do you have any thoughts on on what I got wrong or, or who else should be protected? And do you think there's any chance? that someone on the revs, if you do protect those 12, gets taken? I think ITS you'd leave unprotected just for the fact I don't think a team's going to pick him up because the fact that he's coming off the injury, like the severity is really unknown. I I think there's zero risk of leaving him unprotected and him being picked up. Um, If they re-sign Nacho Hill, I think you would probably protect him over ITS. That's probably pretty much it. I think it's fairly straightforward. Like, You'd actually probably want a player to be selected if you're the Revolution off your roster. Like if you could alleviate Omar Gonzalez without using a buyout, or you know Altador is on this roster too. I don't think there's any chance Altador gets picked up in this, but um, I, I think if you're the Revs, you're actually secretly hoping for a player to be picked up. Yeah, of the, of the guys you're going to have left unprotected, I think I think you would be kind of hoping that one of them gets picked up to kind of make your offseason easier and more flexible. Um, I think you have trouble given the you know the homegrown players that are protected. Uh, protecting more than twelve players and and kind of and kind of wanting them to be back. I don't expect Captain to be back next season. Um, this, these are things we'll you know, we'll talk about more in a future podcast. But um, I, I personally am not very concerned with the Revolution having anyone picked up um, in the expansion draft. So regardless of who protect, I think there's you know there's not going to be too much risk there. Um, we did get two last questions that came in late, um, so they're not on my template, but I did catch them before we wrapped up. Uh, Traeger Girardi wants to know why does bruce hate the kids you know uh bruce actually asked this question in the post game um in terms of why he wouldn't start uh, an old buck or dame rivera over you know nacho heel or you know a player like that uh bruce said and i quote uh why this is professional soccer we're trying to win games and we put the best group out there that could give us a result today um 
think that's not a shocking answer from Bruce. I think something that you had mentioned earlier in the podcast as well, the fact that they still don't know what they have with this team, so they want to give these guys the run out in terms of Veroni and Nacho uh, and see what they look like. So I think that's part of the reason why as well, in addition to wanting to win. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Nothing to add there. I don't think Bruce hates the kids, but I also don't think historically that Bruce has been a guy that's, you know, given the younger players on his rosters that much time. And to be honest, I think, you know, Noel Buck has gotten more time this season than I expected him to, and it's been good for him. Um, I think Esmir, you know, he gave him a shot, and I don't think Esmir is quite ready yet to get too many minutes for the first team. Um, but I think it's the point I made earlier that Bruce doesn't know what he has, and he's for next season he's trying to figure that out, and, you know, there's going to be more time next year for these guys. But, again, um, especially in the last game of the year, I think it would be valuable for Buck to at least get on the field and, and get some minutes. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Um, Revs Devil brings up something we talked a little bit about earlier. He says, I still would like some clarity on how slash why the Revs let Legette go and signed a hurt dude to replace him who is not going to play. I think the answer to why they signed the hurt dude to replace him is that apparently Bruce didn't know how hurt he was, um, which we've already been over. But do you have any more kind of I, I think it would just be speculation about why they let Legette go. But do you have any kind of thoughts on that? Uh, I think Legette as the player won it. He came here, and I think he was upbeat, and I think he thought he was going to fit in. You know, reuniting with Bruce Arena, uh, I think he ended up getting here and maybe didn't like it as much as he had hoped. Um, playing him at a position for the primary of his tenure as well, I don't think he necessarily enjoyed that. And I, I think he really wanted to go back further west. I think he really wanted to go to that part of the country. Obviously, he played in L.A. for a long time. Um, so the player clearly wanted out of here, and I think Bruce Arena is a coach that, typically is more viewed as a player's coach and probably wanted to do right by Legette. I do look at the move and it's like you're sending one of your better players who's in your starting lineup and would have been in your starting lineup for the entire year and was somewhat productive, probably not as productive as they would have liked, but productive enough. And they essentially paid another team to take him. Um, So just in a vacuum, that was a very bad deal for the revolution. So I wonder, I do question you know, whether or not that was the right move to make. Yeah, the player didn't want to be here, but at the end of the day, he's under contract, and you could have waited to the end of the year to move Legette. Uh, you could have said, hey, you're under contract. Unfortunately, we'll wait until the end of the year. Um, so I, I kind of look at that, and I really do question um, that entire move. ITS, I just don't think they knew, and I think they were scrambling after they transferred Legette out, and were looking for an option to fill a slot. And that's what they came across, and unfortunately, he was injured. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think you're right on both accounts, and just with Legit, it is it is a, an interesting one. I think, like you said, I think it was Legit that wanted the move. Um, he was a productive player for the Revolution, and he was an available player for the Revolution, which has been a big problem this year. So that was you know, incredibly frustrating to kind of lose him for a guy that's been injured. Um, but I, I, I kind of go back to that press conference that he had with when he first joined the team, where he said he was expecting to play as a central attacking midfielder, and I think. You know, the, the thought process there was, you know, what we talked about earlier is the Revs thought they were going to be playing a four four two diamond, and he probably thought he was going to be playing as, you know, a right center mid or a left center mid just behind Carly's heel with more of an attacking style. Uh, and, and he wasn't happy with the fact that when he was in L.A. last year, he was you know, played out in the wings and kind of played all over the place and didn't have one position. This was a guy that I got to correct myself from a few weeks ago when I talked about him and said he was the most capped player on the national team in 2021. He was actually the second most capped player on the national team and the top scorer in 2021. This was a guy that after 2021 seemed like he had a decent shot at making the U.S. men's national team. 
but I think we came to the revolution thinking he'd solidify that by you know playing one position and doing really well, and that clearly didn't happen because Bruce you know moved away from that. He was playing him out on the wing. He wasn't being you know he's being good for the Reds, but he wasn't being quite as productive as he'd hoped. And I think he asked for this transfer to Dallas where he could play more centrally and where maybe in his mind he thought he could push to make the national team. And Bruce did him a favor. Um, and I think it, you know, I don't think he has a legitimate shot at the national team. I think that's very clear. He doesn't, but maybe he thought he did. Um, I don't think he ever did at this point. Um, and I think Bruce did him a favor and I think he hurt the revolution in doing so. And, and like you said, he was under contract and it's great to help guys when they want to go, but you know, you helped Adam Buxa when he wanted to go, you helped Matt Turner where you wanted to go, you know, you helped Tejan Buchanan when he wanted to go. Josie Altador wanted that move to Mexico. That was kind of a mutual beneficial thing for the revolution to move on from him. Um, you can only do that to so many players and keep your team intact. And it's important reputationally given, you know, especially given the revolution historically before Bruce Arena, we're known as a team that sometimes would stop guys from going, you know, they stopped Taylor Twelman going way back. They stopped Charlotte Joseph from going overseas, going way back. Um, you know, a number of guys that maybe they didn't necessarily let move when they wanted to move. And Bruce Arena has kind of done the opposite and made done right by his players. But at some point you kind of got to draw the line and, and, you know, Hey, we signed you for this season. We need you for this season. Um, and that was a particularly disappointing move because it was the one off season move, you know, other that the revolution made that actually mostly panned out. Um, but I, I agree with you. If he had stuck with the revolution and the revolution had kept him, I think we would you know, still be at least talking about the revolution pushing for a playoff spot on decision day next weekend. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, legit, he, he very well performs. I mean, I really do think that if you looked at him and he played the entire year with the revolution, they might have been in that conversation. If you just look at what he's done with FC Dallas since he went there, he's played in nine games. He has five assists. Uh, he's been a very productive player for them. So he was a productive player for the Revs. He had five assists and two goals in 19 games. Uh, with FC Dallas, he's you know, playing with Paul Arioli. He's playing with Aves Ferrer, so a little bit better attacking options as well. But I, I do wonder Bruce's decision-making. I, I think if you look at last offseason, the moves he made, he brought in Omar Gonzalez, Sebastian Legetto, Ozzy Altador. These are players that he knows very personally. Obviously, he brought in Del Garza the previous year, Boateng. Um, so it feels like Bruce is either bringing in players that he knows personally or he's relying on these other accounts of players for like Arnold Trustison um, or Veroni or ITS. So he's either getting bad advice or he's making a personal decision to bring in a player that he knows. So I think it's very clear to me, at least, that there's a very big confusion right now in terms of personnel and making the right acquisitions for the team. Um and I think Legette looked like it was the right move, and then they ended up making the tr- transfer out to FC Dallas. Um, so there has to be a happy balance, right? You can't hold on to a player for too long, and you have to do right by the player, but also you have to do right by the team. And I feel like the players come above the team, uh, at least this season for the Revolution. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, again, when you factor in the injuries and everything, it almost seems like these moves are more about you know helping out the players, but also thinking about next season rather than this season. And I've talked about it before on the podcast, but you know, when you have a season where you have Carly's heel stay healthy the entire year, uh, that's quite the blessing and something that you don't want to throw away um, because that's never guaranteed, especially as he turns 30 next year. So, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. It's a, that move in particular was, was one, especially when you're replacing with an injured guy that kind of, kind of throwing away your season, um, in some sense to, to benefit a player. And maybe Bruce thought that they would find a way to, to make the playoffs anyways and, and make a run. But uh, I have a lot of questions about that move in particular during the summer window. 
Um, any final thoughts on on this game? We do have a couple of bit of news I want to talk about, uh, but any final thoughts on this one before we move on? Nope, no more thoughts. Uh, two news items I wanted to mention. Carrie Heistead, long-term Revs photographer, announced that she is not going to be taking pictures of the Revs next year. Just wanted to give a shout-out to her. She was a big part of New England Soccer Today back when we ran that website. Uh, fantastic photographer. Going to be disappointed not having her take photographs of the Revs next year. Uh, U.S. Ampute- US um, amputee soccer team playing in the World Cup right now. Uh, be sure to check that out. They got a big win um, in their first game, tied for first place in the group right now, play Argentina on Sunday. I don't know if you, if you listen to this podcast in time, you might be able to watch that, but uh, congrats to them. It's definitely worth paying attention to that. Um, and Tanner, before we wrap up, uh, how can people find your writing and follow you on social media? Yeah, they can check out uh, trifectanetworksports.com to get all my writing. And then on social media, it is at Tanner Rebello. Make sure to follow Tanner. There are not enough good people covering the Revs, and Tanner does a fantastic job. So be sure to check out him out and check out Trifecta Sports. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Sean L. Donahue, and of course, follow the podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Revolution Recap. Please rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you listen. Also, check out our friends at the Bet Musket. Thanks again for listening, and thanks, Tanner, for joining us. We'll be back next week with a wrap-up after the Revolution's final game, and uh, we'll be having probably some off-season podcasts, too, where we discuss the the roster in greater details and probably expansion drafts in greater detail than we did today.